Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Duck, Duck, Goose. It's episode number 39 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the world's solemn and respectful Eric Roberts-related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as per usual, is my lusty co-host, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. How are you doing? Why only pretty good, Liam? Uh, <laughs> I always forget that pretty is actually uh, an indicator of less. Mm. Uh, colloquially, I say pretty good, and I mean that as actually, like, above regular good like oh it's not just good it's pretty good why are you above regular good liam um you know it's a day off uh as you as people may or may not know we're recording this on uh what's called in america black friday for awful Mm. capitalistic reasons Uh but uh it's day after thanksgiving so wednesday i didn't work particularly hard at anything got to hang out with the wife wednesday night Spent the day on Thanksgiving with family, which is mostly good, and had food, and, you know, that's chill. And then today, got to hang out all morning with my wife, watching stuff, and just relaxing. So I have a question for you, Liam. I have a question. Okay. So think about, instead of someone listening to this episode when it's released on Monday, think of them two years down the road, listening back to episode number 39 of Eric Roberts is a Fucking Man, and think to yourself, are they going to give a shit about what you just said? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You know what? If you don't want to know why I've been a good man, then don't ask. I just wanted it to be presented in a way that could be entertaining and or enlightening. <laughs> um, I, I I can't make my life just say food. That's good. Yeah, I had food. I mean, it's not just food, though. It's a lot of like a chance to be away from work and watch. I've watched a lot of movies, too. So OK, I don't want our guests to wait too long, but I need to ask you about one thing. Before we get into things, Liam, I sure. understand, and believe me, this was very traumatic for me to see, that you shaved off your facial hair recently. I did. I went I went face bald. Uh, mm-hmm. I exposed my chin to the world. Was it because of the pressure from the magazine covers for everyone to be shaved clean? Is that a thing? I don't know. I, uh, no. <laughs> did you shave yourself a little landing strip? <laughs> yeah, I've got a little Brazilian under my under my mouth. I guess so. Yeah, so no, why did you do that? Uh, it was really just a feeling of I wanted to trim what was getting somewhat out of control, uh-huh. and, then it, and then it trimmed too much, and I just thought, let's just start over. Let's just scorch the earth and start again. Okay, so you're going you're gonna to bring it back. Oh, yeah. No, I, I can't. There's too much work in being clean-shaven on a regular basis. All right. Shut up, Liam. Shut it. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Today's guest is a father, husband, raconteur, and co-host of the Married with Clickers podcast. It's Scott Clickers. How you doing, Scott? Great, Doug. Great, Liam. Great to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you here, Scott, especially because you are a longtime listener of the show, so I don't need to explain anything to you. You already know all there is to know about how Liam and I interact, about our blood oath to watch all movies and television and other media related to Eric Roberts. And we can just jump right into the question, Scott. What is your Eric Roberts history? Okay, I'm prepped because I listen. As you say, I know how this goes. Okay, when I was mm-hmm. a kid, 
let's put me at 10 years old, 1982, 1983 or so. Uh, we did not have any of the movie or HBO channels at my home in Toronto, but we had this movie preview channel where they just showed trailers over and over and over again. Over the course of three months, I saw the trailer to Star 80 mm, 40, 50 times. So I feel like I saw Star 80 without seeing Star 80, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's so, it. So like that, the, that's your introduction uh, to Eric Roberts. That's right. And then eventually something like Pope Greenwich Village or whatever. But really that Star 80 trailer ad nauseum. Now, have you seen Star 80 in full? Oh, I have seen it in full. In full frontal even. <laughs> and what do you think? What do you think of Star 80? Oh, it's awesome. It's all, all sorts of good. And would you consider that your number one Eric Roberts movie? Yeah, probably that or Pope of Greenwich Village. Now, you might have noticed, Scott, as a longtime listener of the show, that sometimes we watch movies featuring Eric Roberts that might be on a different level of quality than the two movies that you just mentioned, Star 80 and Pope of Greenwich Village. What is a movie that you have heard us talk about that has made you very curious to see or maybe that you actually seeked out yourself to watch well i, I gotta give you guys credit for bringing me uh, into the world of stock by my doctor and mm-hmm. stock by my doctor colon the return both of which a small plug here haven't covered on the married with clickers podcast i mean those are just gems great great gems they are gems uh i i feel like liam and i have have really done a service for the planet in getting those out into the world in a way that um, that makes their quality known. Don't you think so, Liam? I mean, I put it on my LinkedIn, you know, like I, I make uh-huh. sure uh-huh. It's, it's in my email signature. Sure. Yeah. Fan of Stock by My Doctor or uh, proponent of Stock by My Doctor? I actually say I'm personally responsible for the for the popularity of Stock by My Doctor. Scott, should there be a Stocked by My Doctor 3? Uh, there should, and I've already written a short treatment for it. Okay. Well, that's good. And we, of course, want to read that treatment. We'll uh, we'll add it to the show notes. <laughs> you know what? I have noticed, I should mention this before we get going, that uh, I always say that I'm going to add things to the show notes during the process of recording the show. And often I do add these things to the show notes, but probably half the time I don't think of it. <laughs> so if there's anything, listeners... That you uh, were expected to find in the show notes that you never did. You can feel free to contact me directly, and half the time I'll respond. But uh, Scott, before we before we really jump into the Roberts report, which is everyone's favorite part of the show, and I know it's your favorite, tell us just a little bit about Married with Clickers. What what made that happen? Hey, yeah, thanks. So, so from almost six years ago now, I just had an itch to do a podcast. I needed some sort of hobby to do. Um, convince my wife cat to get involved and we really just pick a different movie every week could be any genre any era and uh you know we just chat about it and it ends up being pretty good couples therapy it's great you know it's funny that you do that and have such success at it because uh there was a time about two years ago now when i had a very similar kind of idea obviously uh knowing that even at that point that married with cookers existed i had um an idea to do a podcast with my wife. And the idea behind it was that we'd pick some part of popular culture that she had never experienced because she has all these blind spots, uh, whether it comes to film or books or music, or just all sorts of things. So we would record it. So we would record what her thoughts were before experiencing it, then have her experience it, and then record her thoughts afterwards. And we almost had to get divorced over how much, how contentious it was 
all we tried to cover was Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Legend of Zelda on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And she hated Raiders of the Lost Ark so much that I, you could hear in the recording my anger and frustration and that I think I was close to tears at one point. So what I'm trying to say to you, Scott, is it's amazing that you can make this work. <laughs> it, it, you know, like marriages, marriages work. It's, it's rewarding, but it's work. And I get why, uh, you know, we don't share We don't share the same opinions on everything. And I guess that's part of the fun. But if you heard that your wife really, really disliked Raiders of the Lost Ark, how would you feel about that? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure we would be <laughs> together. There you go. There you go. That's what I wanted to hear. Liam, how about yourself? Now, you, Liam, have a child on the way. I feel like you have a strong commitment to maintaining your relationship with your uh, wife. Would that throw a wrench into things? Yeah, I mean, definite divorce papers, like, just mm-hmm. done. That's not... I mean, there's no future there. No future. That's it. And in fact, <laughs> that's the theme of today's show. No future. <laughs> <laughs> and with that happy message, let's jump into the Roberts Report. Oh, the Roberts Report for episode number 39 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. As per usual, as of lately, we're going to go to the Eric Roberts Twitter feed because recently he's been having a lot of conversations with, you know, Liam, I'm going to start with you over here before I actually read what this is. I usually call him Peter Stormari. Am I wrong in my pronunciation of his name? I've only ever heard Stormare, but I don't know that Stormari is wrong. I just, I've never heard anyone say that other than you. Now, but I, it makes me feel stupid to think that I'm getting it wrong. And you know, Liam, that I get people's pronunciation wrong all the time. Scott, I'm going to turn it over to you. Stormari or Stormare? I pronounce it uh, that guy from Fargo. That guy from... You're not being helpful, but I appreciate where your attitude is coming from. Um, well, the way you <laughs> go with Stormare. Italian. Is he Italian? No, look at the language on your screen, dickbag. No, I know, but that's why I was questioning you. <laughs> I'm sort of subtly suggesting your pronunciation is obviously wrong, but oh. maybe, maybe mm-hmm. I'm incorrect here. That's why I was double checking because I didn't want to say, "Well, this is an Italian." You're like, "No, he lives in some other white people place, but he's actually Italian." I feel like, like, Stormari. where would I have gotten the idea that it was Stormari? Because looking at it, that wouldn't be the first thing I would think. But I don't think I've ever heard anyone say his name. I need to look up interviews with Peter Stormare. And uh, and see how wrong I am. I will say, by the way, to both of you, that even if I find out I'm incorrect, in my private life, I'm still going to call him Peter Stormari. So I can't really do anything about it at this point. Anyway, longtime listeners of the show know that Eric Roberts has appeared in a number of projects with Peter Stormare. And uh, apparently they're working together once again. And in fact, they're having conversations on Twitter where Peter says, uh, let's see if I can get this right. I think it's Swedish. Underbart at Vara mid dig on hell 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 talented boy. So I think he's probably calling Eric Roberts a talented boy, and I would confirm that he is a talented boy. And Eric Roberts responds, "Almost got the tagging thing down. Just need to leave a space before the at. Otherwise, you're a genius." Which uh, is kind of the kind of the playful interplay that you would hope that Eric Roberts and Peter would have in their everyday life. Now, going back to that, they're filming something at the moment. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, we may have mentioned it on the show previously. But also, Eric Roberts took a photo, a very dark, awful-looking photo, actually, 
of, uh, I guess, where they're filming. And then he tweeted, Pick does not do this beauty justice, but proves once again that we often find the most beautiful things in the least beautiful places. So if I was one of the people uh, who lived in the place where he was filming and he was talking about how unbeautiful my place of living was, I probably would be very upset about that. Um, now, Liam, you live in a pretty awful place. Um, <laughs> what, uh, what, <laughs> how, how personally insulted would you be if, uh, if Eric Roberts was to say that it was one of the least beautiful places? I mean, you're demonstrably incorrect. I think because you hear me talk shit on it. You think it must not be a beautiful place, but you don't know me well enough to know I hate beautiful places. That's why oh. I'm so unhappy here. It's actually You're such a, it's such a punk attitude to hate it, beautiful it, things. It's quite picturesque, actually, but I just mm-hmm. don't care. Uh, but my guess is, I mean, look at this picture. This is literally a wasteland. So yes. I'm sure the people who live there are like, yeah, I hear you, man. I hear what you're saying. It's real you ugly. Know, it just reminded me that we talked several episodes ago about a some sort of web series that Peter Stormare was doing uh, that I thought was actually being filmed in Sweden. But I don't think Eric Roberts is there in the moment. But maybe this is part of that project. And uh, that would be very cool if it was. Uh, Scott, you live in Toronto. What do you think about Toronto? Got its beautiful spots. It's got its not so beautiful spots. I, we, you know, we always have a lot of tourists walking around holding out maps. I give them directions and I ask them. Why did why did you come here? When I go to Toronto, well, there's lots of good reasons to go to Toronto. I mean, there's lots of things happening. When I go to Toronto, it's because there's a thing that's happening that I want to attend. And I live in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, where very little occurs. I do have to say, Scott, when I go to Toronto, I'm constantly looking up. Is that a mistake? Yeah, look up, but don't look like you don't know why you're looking up. Well, look, I know why I'm looking up. I want to see the big buildings. Yeah, so I, I'm up. I'm up in one of those on the 35th floor. Yeah, so I'm looking for you. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I would Toronto. Toronto sounds like a very interesting place to me. Oh, it's interesting. I mean, it's also kind of dirty, and there's a lot of awful people in it. And um, so, it's a, so it's a city, is what you're saying? Yeah, it's a city, yeah, right? So better than where I live, with all these fucking trees and animals and beauty. Fuck this shit. Take me to the dirty place. That's where I want to be. I grew up in Newfoundland, where even our city isn't really a city. So it, it's still very <laughs> difficult for me to adjust to the idea of a city that kind of looks and acts like a city. So probably what I was just saying uh, a few moments ago was a little unfair. But you know what is fair is that Gary Daniels, the famous action star is headed to Roswell, New Mexico to shoot the movie Astro. Yeah, I saw this in several different places, so apparently Gary Daniels is the big name to pay attention to because Film Life Factory and other financiers from Hollywood, India, Bangladesh, and Roswell, New Mexico have come on board to finance director Asif Akbar's science fictioner Astro. And of course, I'm bringing this up for a reason. That reason is, of course, that it co-stars Jonathan Lipnicki, the adorable little munchkin from... Uh, Jerry Maguire, who, of course, knew what the uh, human head weighs. Liam, what does the human head weigh? I don't know. Have you ever seen Jerry Maguire? No. (laughs) 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 That's fine. (laughs) I love just no-selling you on that. I really haven't, though. I know, like, specific scenes from it because everybody repeats them, but I've never sat through a full screening of Jerry Maguire. Scott, what's your favorite Cameron Crowe movie? I will go with, oh my gosh, uh, I was going to say Fast Times, but he only wrote that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, let's go with say anything. All right. It sounded like you were hesitant, but that is probably what my answer would be. Huh. Even Now, I don't think that you can give an informed answer, Liam, since you haven't seen Jerry Maguire, but give us an answer anyway. I mean, I was going to say almost famous, but that's only because I forgot he did say anything. And say anything is like one of my favorite of that kind of movie. Uh, could you elaborate? The sort of 80s teen... Uh, partly funny, partly angsty thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is the essential, and it, and it represents a time in my childhood. Like if I'm, you know, someone wants to know, like, what's a movie that had a big effect on you? I'm like, oh, we should watch Say Anything, regardless of whether it's like a great movie. You know, I think it's significantly better than all of the John Hughes movies that kind of get put before it uh, on people's lists. I, I actually don't have a lot of love for those movies. I know a lot oh, of people what do. About, what about what about though? Uh, Some kind of wonderful. Yeah, I understand that you could just list names. That's fine. Um, oh, my but, God. I mean, I think that's a really good. I think that is better than the other John Hughes movies. I think that's fair. And and uh, and uh, Adventures in Babysitting. But anyway, back to Astro, which is a modern-day original science fiction story of a billionaire's private space exploration program returning to Earth when a, with an abducted extraterrestrial being from a newly discovered planet. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's shooting in late November... <laughs> Uh, which uh, we're in right now, actually, and will feature, uh, of course, Jonathan Lipnicki, Michael Pere, and one Eric Roberts. So keep your eyes out, hopefully for 2017, for the movie Astro with Gary Daniels. But I have a question for you, Scott. Did you know about Sandra Bullock's amazing Forgotten Sandwich movie? No, no, but I noticed it. Now I have to see it so badly. You know what? After reading this article... From moviepilot.com, I also feel exactly the same way. Let me elaborate slightly. Sandra Bullock, uh, after she made A Time to Kill in 1996, she wrote, produced, starred. Uh, I do have to uh, throw a little uh, shade over at moviepilot.com for spelling starred incorrectly here. And directed a 40-minute short featuring Matthew McConaughey, Beth Grant, and Eric Roberts called Making Sandwiches. And the movie tagline is Two Slices with the world of possibility between him, between him, I should say. Uh, Liam, how do you feel about the fact that this is something we have to see it? Like, literally, we made a blood oath, so we have to somehow track down a short film made by Sandra Bullock. I don't know how to feel about it. I don't know that I'm... She's America's uh, sweetheart. I don't have strong... You know, I feel like Sandra Bullock is an actress that people have strong opinions about, Hmm. and I feel rather unemotional on her. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, this is this sounds better to me than the um, than the white lady football movie that she got all that attention for. So yes, I'm more interested in this than that. And I like that she has these random people in it. You know, like I've wanted to see Matthew McConaughey and Eric Roberts on screen together uh, because that fulfills a few of my weird sex fantasies. But mm-hmm. overall, you know, I don't know what to make of that because I don't know that I care about sandwiches that much. They could have a drawl off, don't you think? It'd be all right, all right, all right, and he'd be like, "Yeah," and like they just keep going back and forth. <laughs> it's hard to actually to imagine them communicating. If they were both intoxicated, then I feel like they would never be able to finish. You wouldn't know what they were saying to each other. Scott, I feel like when the movie Gravity came out, that everyone really liked it, including myself. But in the years since, uh, its reputation has fallen a little bit. What do you think about the movie Gravity? Yeah, I, I saw it IMAX 3D. Yeah, and was blown away. And I've thought about it about three times since then. Yeah, it's one of those things where the experience I remember being kind of 
almost transcendent, and then I immediately forgot about it afterwards. Do you think it's one of those things where when movies like that come out in recent years, you need to have a little bit of emotional distance before you can kind of reconnect with it? Or maybe it's just that you can't really recreate that IMAX 3D experience at home. Exactly. That is it. It's like, it's like, you know, it's got avatar syndrome, right? No one cares yeah. about avatar anymore. You see it once, you're blown away, and you move on to Netflix. Liam, should they turn Gravity into a trilogy? <laughs> what? What would? I don't know what would happen next. I can't. That uh, Gravity is a movie I regularly confuse in my head with Interstellar. <laughs> Even I though, think Gravity is a better movie than Interstellar. See, that's interesting. I I, I actually in the theater would ex- experience those movies the same. Like I really thought both huh. movies. I left the theater being like, "All right, yeah, okay, that was great," you know. And then since then, I've tried to watch both. And thought, no, no, no. Hmm. Like I just can't get into it now. I don't know. I mean, you're granted at a very real level, they are very different movies. But when I multiple times have tried to remember sequences from Gravity, I think of Interstellar instead. Yeah. Well, I guess all space movies look the same to you, Liam. Um, oh, with white people. What? Oh, my God. What? Well, well, fair enough. Hey, remember in the last episode, Liam, where we talked about the best Thanksgiving ever, a Detroit holiday misadventure? I do remember that. We talked about this upcoming movie. I think it had something to do with bros, if I remember oh, yes. correctly. Total bro movie, yes. It's a bro movie. Well, the responses are out after its red carpet premiere, and... This is from uh, the CBSlocal.com Detroit affiliate website. And I'm not going to read out what it is. It's basically a review, but it is overwhelmingly positive. Like, it's so positive that it is actually a little embarrassing to read. (laughs) There were plenty of others laughing right along with me, some of whom laughed so hard they had tears in their eyes. And I was one of them. What? Scott, when was the last time that you cried at a movie? Oh, I cry all the time, so that's not a very mm-hmm. uh, good question. Next question. No, I mean, yeah. I cry, no, I, like if it's it, you know, if you want me to cry, you, you kill Uncle Ben in a Spider-Man movie. You do anything like that, I'm gone. I cry. In what free. if I brought Uncle Ben back? Yeah, no. <laughs> I need him to cry. He stays dead. He stays dead, and I stay crying. Have you ever laughed so hard you cried while watching a movie? Honestly, and I won't, you know, you're talking about films you kind of forget about. That was my mm-hmm. Borat experience. Like, Kat and I saw Borat in theaters, and I was just just dying. But, again, haven't thought about it much since then. Liam, how about yourself? Crying while laughing, is that something you do, or do you cry while doing other activities? <laughs> I mean, I, I probably cry by doing most activities. But um, mm. I'm sure there's a movie I saw that I laughed so hard I cried, but I don't remember. I You know, a lot of... Comedy doesn't click with me, um, at least what's out in theaters. So I don't know the last. Liam, are you are you on the spectrum? The spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we talking about the autism spectrum? Or yes, are we because you, about uh, it, the spectrum it, of sexuality. Oh well, I guess we can go into both, but we don't have a lot <laughs> of time for the rest of the Roberts report. <laughs> no, but come on, there must be a time where you laughed. Do you what's the most you remember laughing at a movie in a cinema? I really don't remember the last movie I saw in theater that I laughed that hard that I laughed that hard at. A lot of the movies that I laugh at are also kind of emotional. So the last movie I remember thinking was really funny was also sort of uplifting, like Hunt for the Wilder People. But uh, I'm trying to think of something that was just like, oh, I was just dying. 
Well, let me give you a little intro, okay? Because Scott was very honest about his opinion that he went and saw Borat, which I, I know a lot of people, they've kind of turned on Borat a little bit, but I think that's a very valid answer. When I saw that for the first time, when I saw Bruno for the first time, I laughed really hard at it. Sure, um, sure. But I, the most I remember ever laughing in a theater was seeing the first Jackass movie in yes. the I know like, that's funny. That movie is actually funny, whatever people And say. and it was I felt like it was this weird kind of bonding experience with everyone in the theater who was just laughing so hard and of course there was a lot of kind of disgust built into it as well. It was just a weirdly um almost a, a I wouldn't say religious because I don't want to offend you, Liam, but it felt like a very uh, communal, very honest, very sincere expression of humor, and we were all kind of in it together. It it uh it made me go back and see the sequels, and I enjoyed those a lot too. But I, I don't think I've ever laughed harder than the first one. I think that's fair. I saw it in the theater too, and I remember laughing a lot as well. Uh, well. I'm trying to think the last thing the I the the weirdly enough, the thing that I, I remember laughing so much that I was surprised at how much I was laughing is a movie. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Cops, but it's spelled. Uh, I think it's. I don't know if it's Swedish. It's either Swedish or it's from the Netherlands. I'm not sure. Which is that the one where they see you see the clip all the time of the guy kind of air humping his his a gun shooting? Yes, that's exactly the movie. I saw that at the Philadelphia Film Fest when it made its. I think that was not its U.S. premiere, but it was like second or third and it's whatever and i didn't i just went and sort of like oh some weird foreign film whatever i'm sure it's fine and i died i i will uh, it's so fucking funny so um yeah i don't know i'm sure there's other things i just i think what it more is is that funny movies don't imprint themselves on me in a way where i remember them forever the way that disturbing movies do like i will remember disturbing film experiences for the rest of my life but funny movies they kind of come and go scott are you a fan of Christian rap rock? I haven't heard it yet, but I'm sure I am. Well, I know Liam has heard it. Is that correct, Liam? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm cheating by reading the thing, and I've definitely heard of this uh, awful band before. Oh, okay. Well, you have a strong opinion. Stronger than I think Scott's opinion on it, because recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is 2017's Beautifully Broken a thriller from director Eric Welch, who also has directed a documentary, maybe it's a concert film, about the Christian rap rock trio DC Talk. Uh, Liam, would you say that DC Talk are the most famous Christian rap rock band? I uh, I would say that they are one of They're the literally ones. the only ones I've ever heard of. Uh, no, P.O.D. would be the other ones oh, I've heard of. Oh shit, you're right. They were super into Jesus to an embarrassing extent. And while I think they would like to be considered heavier than rap rock, they're basically rap rock. Scott, what's your favorite rap group generally? I'm showing my age here, but it's got to be Run DMC. Yeah. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. And look, Liam even gave you a yes as if he approves of what you just said. <laughs> there you have it. You got to go classic. There you go. You gotta go classic. You gotta go classic is the theme of this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, as well as what did I say it was, Liam? No hope or yeah, no, no future, no future. Now, uh, the director Eric Welch of Beautifully Broken also directed a Ben Folds concert film going in a slightly different direction from DC Talk, so you know it's going to be good. Uh, <laughs> the plot involves after fleeing his homeland to escape the ethnic genocide that killed his mother, a Rwandan man finds new hope in America. Sounds very serious and solemn. Apparently a thriller. It also features Eric Roberts as Larry in the IMDb trivia, where, by the way, if it's like a year before a movie comes out and it has IMDb trivia, you know the director put it in there. It says, the film is based upon a true story 
and real people. So that's good. Keep an eye out for Beautifully Broken coming soon to somewhere near you, probably VOD. Keep an eye on it. We'll, we'll cover it here eventually because Eric Roberts is in it. And what does that mean, Liam? Uh, it's time for our first break. Time for our first break. Today, we're going to be talking about two Eric Roberts classics, 1995's The Immortals and 2000's Tripfall. And I should let you know, listeners, that despite the fact that I watched the movie Tripfall and I have a piece of paper in front of me that says the words Tripfall on it, I have had to look up the title of this movie every single time that I've had to make reference to it because I keep forgetting the dumb generic title that it has. But I do want to, before we take a break, I need to ask Scott, why are we watching The Immortals and Tripfall? Yeah, they were on my short list of Eric Roberts films I wanted to see before I died. So there you go. I'm sorry if you didn't like them. Uh, well, you, yeah. you don't need to apologize. We made a blood oath. We have to watch them anyway. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, like every guest you have, I went for Runaway Train. That never seems to work out for anyone. Um, <laughs> so these ones, you know, the Immortals, I just saw the cast and I was like, WTF, we have to get on that. Chris Rock out of nowhere. And then uh, yeah, Tripol, you know, I just couldn't, I just wanted to see John Ritter married to Rachel Hunter. It is an odd thing to see in living, breathing color. And of course, we'll get into that in just a little bit. I will say that you made really interesting choices, Scott, because both of these movies give us a lot of Eric Roberts. And the fact is, some of the movies we cover on this show, as you know, as the listeners know, as Liam knows, sometimes the Eric Roberts content is limited. I may be thinking of that Bonnie and Clyde movie that we covered on the last episode that features a minimum of Eric Roberts. Both of these movies give us enough to sink our teeth into. But is that bite that we take, is it delicious? Does it go down smooth? Or is it like bitter lemons in our mouths? Well, we'll see after this first break. We're going to come back and talk about the all-star cast of 1995's The Immortals. We'll be right back. Crafty nightclub owner brings together a group of small-time hoods and teams them up in unusual pairs. <laughs> the, the IMDb like, description here says, Black man and white racist, Ivy Leaguer <laughs> and Simpleton. <laughs> For a set of multiple heists, which turn out to be an elaborate double-cross against a notorious gangster. During an extended standoff in a nightclub between Jack, who is uh, the lead, and his band of thieves, and Dominic, who's the opposition to him, his henchmen, the hoods discover why Jack brought them all together for what amounts to a suicidal mission. Yeah, it's 1995's The Immortals, which has a all-star cast. And, you know, sometimes we say on Eric Roberts is the fucking man that a movie has an all-star cast, and we're just kind of screwing with you because we got to amuse ourselves in the process of recording. But in this case, it actually does have an all-star cast. Not only does it star, and yes, let me emphasize, 
It stars Eric Roberts as Jack. We also have Joey Pants, Joey Pant- Joe Pantoliano himself in this movie. Tia Carrera is both a producer and one of the stars of this movie. The legendary Tony Curtis, Clarence Williams III, William Forsythe in this movie. But also in, uh, in a role that he probably doesn't <laughs> mention when people are asking him his uh, most pleasurable experiences. It's Chris Rock as Deke Anthony in this movie um the plot description doesn't give a lot of detail uh about what kind of the big kind of central twist is in this but i'm just going to give it to you so cover your ears if you are worried about spoilers from uh 20 years ago but the immortals all of these uh these criminals that have been brought together to pull off this heist they're all dying for one reason or another Uh, a couple of them have uh aids uh one of them has a heart problem Uh, a couple have cancer that sort of thing I won't tell you which ones have have which, but it uh, it does make for a kind of interesting central premise. However, what I would say is the defining characteristic of 1995's The Immortals is that it really feels like a movie of 1995, by which I mean it feels like a movie... Oddly, it kind of feels like it was in the wake of Pulp Fiction, and it might have been. I mean, it seems like it was very influenced by the Tarantino mid-90s independent movie style that fueled that and Reservoir Dogs. You can feel a lot of that in the dialogue and in the performances. And I do have to say there are, especially in the first half of the movie, I found a lot of that very, very irritating. Though... Strangely enough, I came around on it by the by the second half of the movie and I started having a good time and just seeing these people interact and it gets all twisty in a really kind of dumb way. But I, I was emotionally involved enough to wanting to see who lived, who died, and who told their story. Gonna start with our guest, Scott Clickers. What did you think of 1995's The Immortals, directed by Brian Grant? Well, I, I think if you like films where people point guns at each other's and drop f bombs nonstop. Mm. This is really your kind of film. I, the, the, I was gonna have fun with it. I was trying to have fun with it, but man, it just did not all add up. Everything was there. The materials were all there the, the, for a recipe, and it just came out of the oven as a disaster. So, so I'm gonna guess that you're saying that I'm you didn't like it. Are you on my mixed metaphors? I don't know if I can mix any more in. <laughs> so you didn't much care for the immortals. You know, it felt like I had been alive for a long, long. I felt immortal watching it. I did like the clever plant words because the funny thing is, Doug, they're not immortal. No. In fact, they're the opposite of that. They're likely to die at any second. Is the one guy just dying of simpletonness? I was going to ask both of you that very question <laughs> because I don't think it was ever established what was happen- happening to him. I also questioned the, um, the decision of Jack, uh, played by Eric Roberts, of hiring one person who was actually outliving when he was supposed to die. Because I feel like between the time of asking him to be involved and actually pulling off the uh, the the scheme, the the theft, that he might have died. But I guess that's just part of it, man. Uh, and I believe that actually the actor who had long flowing hair, he um, also was the writer of this movie, but I don't recall his name, so I'm not going to bring it up. Liam, what did you think of 1995's The Immortals? I, the, oh. mm. the same the same um okay so the movie starts off and it's so 90s that it feels like someone's written a skit for SNL making fun of the 90s <laughs> I mean they're in a club and in the club on one floor there's an impossibly bad rock band like a band that's like 
um, SD- Dave Matthews Band. Uh, it, no, because they're trying to be heavy too. Though that's their true. their their wardrobes are eclectic, so that's kind of Dave Matthews ass. <laughs> but then they they you know they kind of reminded me of um oh what was that that band? It's like they're oh, trying I'm not to remember exactly. Sorry, what was that, Scott? They were trying to be Soundgarden or something like that. Yeah. There was some Soundgarden mixed in there. There was some, like, just general rock, you know, a little bit of, like, a candle box feel. But the lead singer with his weird lumberjack hat and, like, awful goatee, like... Oh, you're thinking of the Spin Doctors. Sure, sure, sure. No. Or how about Rainbow Butt Monkeys? Oh, my God. (laughs) Point is, is that they have that... Dishwalla. Because every club had this. They have the rock band rocking out on one floor. Then underneath, there's another place where there's a DJ playing hip-hop because yeah. you would have both in the club, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all the characters' outfits. I mean, you mentioned the, the gentleman with long hair and his glass. He looked ridiculous. There was <laughs> a guy who's uh, – he had also weird sunglasses and his hair was all gelled to the front. And he had a little weird goatee chin thing. It was everything about it felt so like painfully trying to be cool, which now of course feels dated. That my first response was to be annoyed, but that actually faded pretty quickly as I started to just think, I can't believe this movie exists. I can't believe this movie exists with this cast, uh, with this insane plot, with even some of the many like as these uh, sick people are robbing the various establishments they're meant to steal a briefcase from the way that those things pull off it doesn't it's every every single one of them feels like a bad punchline it's like we're we're spitballing ideas for a skit and all of our worst ideas are what actually happens in the movie it 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 just kept getting off the rails so that i was kind of like laughing at it in a in a way that i was Hmm. sort of like oh this is so ridiculous i'm actually having fun with how ridiculous it is but funny enough by the time uh, right just before the movie for me went completely off the rails, I actually did start to care about the characters a little bit. I started to think like, well, the, you know, I want to see how this works out. I want to see. But then like it, this shootout starts at the club that <laughs> like never ends. It's like, I, you know, the longest shootout ever, which for some people sounds great, but there's no choreography. The gun sounds are insane. Like they're, they, 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 half the time when you hear a sound that's supposed to be a gun, I'm pretty sure it's not a gun. It's not even like a gun, let alone that gun. <laughs> like they just sound like mini explosions. It doesn't make any sense. And every, it's a, one of those movies where there's lots of shooting, but there's not a lot of thought about like choreograph. It's not like a John yeah. Woo ripoff. Right. Which you think of that time period, people would be into that, but maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe <laughs> two years later, you would have had people jumping through the air with the two guns blazing sure, sure. but but here you're right it does feel very kind of aimless uh so to speak um and and it, it also there's just lots of gunplay for no good reason it just seems to be padding out the time a little bit but i do want to ask you because we do have a all-star cast here and we were talking about this briefly before we started recording i'm going to start over with you scott who was your favorite non-Eric Roberts performer in this movie and who was your least favorite? My favorite for sure was Tia Carrera. I will say mainly because I felt very connected with her as a character. She felt like she didn't really want to be in the movie even though she was also a producer. (laughs) Uh At one point, Tony Curtis comes in with five or six henchmen and then the shootout, like Liam says, was just going on and on and on. It took people about 20 minutes to flee the building, all the partygoers. 
And I'm thinking to myself, how many of these guys are there? And at that very moment, Tia Carrero's character asked, how many of these guys are there? I felt like I was simpatico with her. So she was my fave. Least favorite? I, I've got it. You know, I love Chris Rock. I think he's a great, funny guy. But there is this scene, and you both know it, where he tells about this five-minute stories of what went on at this point of the heist. I mean, it was just so not funny. And I just looked at Eric Roberts, and he would just looked so bored. <laughs> yeah, no, he was uh, echoing my feelings at that moment as well. You're right. That is a very strange scene. It's also, in some ways, a very kind of Tarantino-esque um, where you, where if you're able to write that dialogue and have it fit the performer and make it seem very natural and interesting and engaging, that you can make that work. But at least in 1995, Chris Rock was not making it work. And I found actually his character pretty irritating kind of from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I know that uh, Liam echoes some of those thoughts. But Liam, who did you let's – let's stay positive for a second because that's the theme of this episode. Uh, what, what, what performer kind of stuck out to you as someone that you enjoyed watching? Um, actually, it's probably a tie, and they were partners between Clarence Williams and Joe Pantoliano. I never know mm-hmm. how to say his name right. Joey Pants. Joey Pants. Um, I first of all, I love Joey Pants a lot. <laughs> like, I actually really enjoy him in a lot of different things, and he's often in things that aren't great, but I like mm-hmm. him in them. Uh, and then Clarence Williams is a god among men. Uh, granted, this is no Tales from the Hood, one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but I do really like him in it. Uh, I, you know, I can echo some appreciation for Tia Carrera in this movie as well. I think she was pretty great uh, in what she was doing. But the rest of the team of would-be criminals are all bad. So it's like not just that – like I could lift up all three of them and say I, I almost feel like those three and Eric Roberts were the only people I found tolerable. Like Now uh, that's controversial to me, Liam. Because we haven't yet said the person that I enjoyed the best out of the cast. Oh, that's fair. That's true. Uh, but I, I didn't like any of them. But I will say the only one that I actually was like mad at was Chris Rock, who when I see him on screen, like I didn't actually read who was in this movie. So to be fair, this played out for me as a total surprise. I just I'm going to put this movie on. Oh, look, famous people who I or some of them aren't famous, but people who I recognize are in this movie. That's crazy. I did not expect Chris Rock to be the salt in my wound that he was. Like, every moment he's talking, for the most part, I hate it. The story he tells is terrible. Even the gag of, like, he brought his mom on the fucking thing. Yeah, that's... that's not funny. Like, that it, it, it's like he's supposed to be there as the comedic relief, and he's not. No moment he's in is funny. And as Scott, Scott said, it went nowhere. That part with the mother, it didn't have a payoff. I mean, Liam, I, I am... St- She's I'm still asleep. talking to you. Yeah, no, no. I mean, she's asleep in the car, so I guess that's. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like that's a, yeah. Like, but again, what what were they going to do? There's no way they could redeem that joke. That no, joke was a bad the, idea from the. the, the uh, sorry, to interrupt. Sorry, it's okay. Airplane, the guy still in the taxi waiting. He, yeah. The meter's still running. They should have had his mom, like at the very end after the credits. The mother wake up in the car and say, "Where the fuck yeah, is Chris Rock?" Right. Yeah. That would have been amazing, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I like the idea that she would say, where the fuck is Chris Rock, <laughs> as, opposed, <laughs> as opposed to his character's name. <laughs> now, I want to say, I want to give some props to one Mr. William Forsyth, who does not make it too far into the movie, but I thought he acquitted himself quite well as an asshole with a heart of silver, let's say, um, uh, who uh, dies in a very oh. bloody manner. But yeah, apparently- I forgot. No, I forgot about him. You're right. He's not, he's not bad either. 
the he's guy, not bad the, either. The guy he's with, though, I hated the whole time. The uh, the other gentleman who uh, the effeminate gay man, I would say. Yeah, his performance. I mean, besides the fact that everything he's wearing like offended me at a deep aesthetic level, mm-hmm. uh, I also didn't enjoy his performance. It it felt not great. What about one, Mister Tony Curtis? Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Yeah. Look, in the mid '90s, Tony Curtis was sleepwalking through everything. So <laughs> I, I think, I think he did okay here. You know, I should say to both of you, when I think of Tia Carrera, I think of her performance, of course, in Wayne's World. And when I think of her performance in Wayne's World, the thing I think of most often, and that I reference in my everyday life to an embarrassing extent, is when she says, "Wow, they can really wail." <laughs> so. So whenever I hear a band for the first time, sometimes in a live performance, I sometimes say that they can really wail in reference to that. Um, so I will uh, also echo that Tia Carrera's performance here is quite good. I will say that I found it not so believable that they could um, – and this is how her character exits the movie. They basically tuck a bunch of um, money into her pants. She's dying. She's pregnant. Um, and – they give her this money and, and and she wears it around her body and then she goes out because they're going to pretend that instead of being one of the thieves that she's one of the hostages and she's just going to walk away scot-free like it's that movie Quick Change. And it works out apparently very well for her. But it, I feel like the cops would at least still want to talk to her long enough that it would be really hard for her to hide the fact that she has money covered all over her body. But I guess when it comes to the moving picture, you sometimes just need to accept these things are the case. So now I want to talk about the director of 1995's The Immortals. He's a gentleman named Brian Grant. He's done a lot of television work in recent years, but he gained fame, as a lot of these directors in the 90s did, through his work in music videos. Now, music videos, you may remember, is an art form that <laughs> became very popular in the 1980s with music television and up in Canada, much music. And they used to show these short visual clips where the song was playing by a band and they would kind of take these uh, songs and turn them into images and that's what a music video was. And some of these are very famous music videos and in fact, before let's get into uh, before we get into that, I want to go over to you, Scott. Now, Scott, I'm sure you grew up watching a lot of music videos. What is the music video that you think of first when someone says music video? Well, most people would say Thriller, but I'd actually say Billie Jean. Billie Jean. You know what? That's 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 a really that's. I think you're right. When I think of especially the music television type aspect of videos, Thriller is one of those ones that you saw in the '80s. It played regularly, but since then, you only see it kind of at specific times of the year. While Billie Jean was kind of a constant rotation for pretty much from the mid to the late '80s. When I was a kid, I'm born in '72. So when I was a kid, Thriller came out. The album Thriller came out. Billie Jean was the single off that a lot earlier than Thriller was. So that was the video that got us all watching videos. We were all already watching videos by the time the Thriller video came out. And now did you watch? I'm not sure, Scott. I should check in with you. Were you born and raised in Canada? Yeah, Toronto. So you you watched a lot of much music growing up. Except for I spent four years in Montreal where I watched Music Plus. (laughs) Music Plus. Liam, over to you. What is the music video you most connect with? Music videos. Um, oddly enough, it's actually uh, Belle Biv DeVoe's Poison. Oh, Poison! Poison, Poison, Poison. <laughs> yeah, we watched it a lot when I was a kid, and it was the first time. I didn't get MTV till high school, so I experienced music videos, but at 
other people's houses. And that was one that we sort of rewatched a lot. I mean, there were also like, I had seen, you know, uh, the Metallica one with the, about the, what is that song called? One, I guess. Talk yeah, it sounds one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the Cherry Pie video I had uh, watched <laughs> quite a few times, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and, no. And later on in life, there were other videos that I I don't know why, like, the November Rain video. I can remember a lot of that video for some sure. reason. Uh, whereas other things are more understandable, like uh, the Rex and Effect uh, Pumps in a Butt video. But uh, for whatever reason, the one that I think of immediately when someone says music videos is Bubba Devo Poison. It just it was the first one I remember like really going out of our way to watch over and over again. That's very interesting. I mean, it's interesting to hear people's different experiences. I, I know that, Liam, you and I are, are of similar ages, and Scott's a little older than the both of us. Um, but my memories actually lean closer to what Scott's were. I mean, I, I think of th- that kind of mid to late 80s era of music videos. Um, while you were kind of going early 90s, I would say, uh, maybe particularly late 80s. I don't um, think I saw a music video till 88. That's that is interesting to me. I didn't and know I anyone would... with cable. I mean, I saw like Thriller, like you guys are saying. I saw Thriller on TV, but I didn't think of it. I I really actually for a long time thought of Thriller as just a movie that Michael Jackson made, and right. I didn't really know that there was like I knew there was MTV, but I didn't none of them because I can remember a lot of '80s videos that were on before I had MTV, but they they didn't like imprint themselves in the same way. So like. Um, uh, Dexy's Midnight Runners. Sure. I love that song. And when they would play it on VH1 later in life, I would watch it again and again. But I don't associate it with MTV. For whatever reason, that 90s, early 90s R&B was like what my friends liked. Uh, that and metal were the two things that my friends liked. So that's... I were, your friends really, were your friends really into New Jack Swing? Uh, New Jack Swing, yeah, I guess. I mean... I was Tony, Tony, say, Tony. Remember that? I thought you were going to say New Jack City, which we, all of us, we would have the radio on in a tape in the tape player so that we could record that New Jack City song every time it came on. Well, very interesting to hear both of your experiences with music videos. But this movie that we're talking about, The Immortals from 1995, was directed by Brian Grant, who was a prolific music video director. And in fact won a Grammy Award for directing the physical video for Olivia Newton-John, which I'm sure all of our listeners are familiar with. But he also directed the crazy little thing called Love Video for Queen, um, the New Moon on Monday video for Duran Duran, Private Dancer by Tina Turner. But I have given this list to both the guest and my co-host today because I want to see what is your favorite of the ones listed here. going to start, just going to go right back to you, Liam. Quickly, what's your favorite video directed by Brian Grant? This is going to be weird, um, but it, it it's it's probably either "How Will I Know." Um, I don't know by why. Whitney Houston, the late yeah. Whitney Houston. Yeah, uh, I don't know why that one because there's other songs here that I like the song more, but I don't remember the video. But I very clearly remember "How Will I Know" uh, or "Shock the Monkey," a case in which I fucking actually hate that song. Like That's it's not a song I like, but I remember the video very clearly. Like I can name the, you know, I can picture the video. So sure. clearly, it, what he did was effective, even though I don't like that Peter Gabriel song at all. How will I know? Uh, you know, I like the song and I remember the video. So it's you know those two really stick out to me. Okay, so just for future reference, when I say quickly, I mean oh to God, just. I would <laughs> if I was to say to you, Liam, monkey, monkey, monkey. Hey, Scott, which is your favorite? (laughs) Do I have to go quickly, too? Nope. All right, thank you. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, looking at this list, I, I totally get why you like that Whitney Houston one because I think that's the video where like her charisma really came across. She was just so cute. Mm-hmm. That, you know. But mine, uh, going way back, it is New Moon on Monday, Duran Duran. In sixth grade, I was a huge, we called ourselves Durannies back then. <laughs> I actually attended a concert at Maple Leaf Gardens in here in Toronto where they filmed the video for the Reflex at that concert. Oh, wow. Yeah. If you look closely, you can't see me. But uh, yeah, I was oh. there. But if you look at new, if you look at Newman on Monday, great video. There's a series of Duran Duran videos, some made by Russell McCahey, the Australian director. Union of the Snake, Newman on Monday, Wild Boys. They're all sort of a post-apocalyptic. I have this theory that they're all part of the Mad Max universe. That's that is an interesting theory that almost deserves its own podcast. And I like the idea that those videos could all be placed together into some sort of chronology. But I, I am blown away that you were there for that reflex taping, Scott. Uh, how was that show overall? That show was amazing. I was in the sixth grade. My sister was in seventh grade. My dad took us and he wore a suit and tie. That, that is the most amazing thing I've heard in my entire life. <laughs> so back to this movie, The Immortals. Uh, I want to ask you, Liam... What was Eric Roberts' plan in this movie? So, it's a little complicated, but um, it seemed like the plan was to uh, have all of the drop sites get hit simultaneously, which, uh, then so these are the drop, he, Eric Roberts looks for a mob boss, there's different spots where he keeps the money, Eric Roberts sends people to steal all the different money, um, and then... I don't at this point it started to get fuzzy for me because um they all end up back at the club and then I guess the plan is to escape out the tunnel and then at the end of the movie the yakuza shows up and I couldn't Yeah. I, I maybe you guys can clarify this for me. Is the did the yakuza put him up to stealing this money? I was kind of confused at that point. I have to admit that I'm also confused about that point. Uh and I got the impression at the end like that was supposed to be kind of a surprise that he was with the Yakuza, like they were waiting for him in that tunnel specifically for that reason. But uh, I'd like to get confirmation on that. Scott, what do you think? There was a very half second reference to the Yakuza while Tony Curtis was on the helicopter. So I think that might have tied in. But honestly, they get the money. And instead of taking off, they wait around for the Mexican standoff for some reason. Yeah. But I didn't really understand that. And the, the whole the whole getting people with terminal illnesses who all still seem to have a pretty strong survival instinct. None of it made sense to me. Yeah. And in fact, we discover that not only are all of these thieves uh, on death's door, but so is Eric Roberts character. That's a big twist that Eric Roberts is going to die as well. And I guess they all, you know, they all need money for like treatment or for their family or or whatever. Um, But one of the things I do have to say that I liked about this movie was that uh, Eric Roberts' character was really interesting to me. I, I didn't really know where he was coming from at the beginning. We think of him as, I think, as sort of kind of a straight bad guy. He's killing a bunch of his guards and shit. Um, and he's just kind of acting like a aloof asshole. And then he kind of gets more sympathetic as it goes along uh, to the point where uh, he even manages to uh, <laughs> to bond with the simpleton. <laughs> uh <laughs> Though the ending, I have to say, I did not find particularly satisfying when most of our characters uh, do end up dead, uh, as you would expect. Um, and then it's really just Tia Carrera's character who, who kind of escapes earlier on. 
uh, and then Eric Roberts and uh, and the Simpleton they kind of go off on their merry way. And as Scott alluded to earlier, we don't really get a sense of what the, I, I'm sorry to keep referring to him as the Simpleton, but I can't remember what his character's name is. George. Uh, George. It's George. Oh, George, right? Because we were thinking of of mice and men. That's right. We're watching. <laughs> But George and uh, Eric Roberts' character, they they get away, but we don't know what uh, – I guess they're all going to die anyway, no matter what the money – You know, I guess what that proves, the lesson is, is that there's no future. Isn't that right, Liam? Yeah, that the – you know, it's all just – I don't know. I, I actually the, – the end is um, – you know, we sort of made fun of the movie a little bit, but the end is actually the only part where I was straight up like, yo, this movie might suck. Like, not that there aren't parts of the movie that are bad before then – but I kind of hated the end. It just felt completely ma- like like they kind of made it up on the spot. Yeah. It didn't feel like they had a real plan for it outside of Eric Roberts is going to – it's going to look like he's going to be a bad guy and he's going to follow what the Yakuza tell him to do and kill the- George, tell him to look at the flowers and he's going to shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then instead he shoots the, uh, the Yakuza and then they walk off and um, – and that's kind of how the whole thing happens. What do you think of the ending, Scott? Well, I'm now thinking Steinbeck should have involved the Yakuza somehow. <laughs> Again, I just think we need to get back to Chris Rock's mom somehow. The ending, other other than I wanted to see maybe George enjoying his money. But I don't think they ended up with much money, if anything. Maybe some pocket change. I like now that in, the ending in my mind is they're walking down the street at the end. George puts the sunflower in the back of his pants and then Chris Rock's mother pulls up in a car and she's like, boys, you want to go to Mexico? And then they all just drive off together. Exactly. That's not bad. That that would work. So that's the new official canon ending for 1995 is The Immortals. We need to talk about Eric Roberts. Um, first, Scott, what do you think of Eric Roberts' hair in this movie? I think it's good. It's like the sort of classic Roberts you know, just a little too long, a little mullety, a little helmety, but just that classic Roberts do. Like if they were to make a, if he were to have his sort of bust enshrined in the Hollywood Hall of Fame, I think this is the hair they'd go with. This is this is this is peak Eric Roberts cliche hair, I would say. Uh, while in a movie we'll talk about in a little bit, that that might not be the case. We we can kind of say that here. Um, hair, yes. Uh, look over Liam. What did you think of his hair in the movie? It was, I mean, it was pretty great. I mean, it's it's not quite as flowing as we've seen it in other times, but mm-hmm. I definitely liked it. It was it was pared back from best of the best uh, one era, but it's not as pared back as best of the best two era sure. Eric Roberts. So let's continue on with this train of thought, uh, this runaway train of thought. Let's. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Eric Roberts' performances in this movie, Liam. I thought it was great. I mean, I like him in this. Um, I'm trying to describe it. it. It's it's not smart. He's not like the you know. It's not in that Eric Roberts like true creepoid mode. Um, but he you know he's he's villainous a little bit. He's a little menacing. But he um, there's also like a little bit of texture there, and that you're not sure if you should appreciate. It's it's not clear whether um, his manipulation of these people who are dying is good or bad per se and his attitude he's got a little bit of like a cocky attitude towards his boss and there's i don't know there's like a lot of things there going on in a movie that is not 
it's not a particularly complicated movie other than the plot is a little convoluted, but that's not the same thing, you know? Um, so I don't know. I really liked it. I, I found myself getting into his performance more than probably anyone else in the movie. Scott, over to you. What did you think of Eric Roberts? Yeah, we're talking about Michael Jackson earlier, and the only two words that come to mind for him here are smooth criminal. He's good. <laughs> he is the smoothest of criminals in 1995's <laughs> The Immortals. Yeah, I like uh, what you mentioned too, Liam, that he kind of walks that smarm line and, and villainous line a little bit, uh, that he manages to still elicit a certain amount of sympathy, especially since he's one of the final characters we're sort of left with. But this is an Eric Roberts show, right? I mean, he is the main guy. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting watching him walk that line. So that brings us to the question, the very central idea of this podcast, which is, is Eric Roberts the fucking man in 1995's The Immortals, starting with you, Scott? 100% fucking man. 100%. I also want a percentage from you, Liam. Uh, yeah, let's go with 100%. Wow. Okay, so that adds up to 200%. And can we get to 300%? I wonder. I wa- Yes! 300% Eric Roberts is the fucking man in the flawed, but it has its moments, 1995 movie, The Immortals. I, I find it interesting that the person that I was most curious about seeing in this movie was Chris Rock, and he ended up being the most irritating element to pretty much all three of us. So uh, be careful what you wish for is, I think, the theme of this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Speaking of wishing for something great, John Ritter, <laughs> Eric Roberts... When we come back, 2000's Tripfall. We'll be talking about that right after this. You want to tell me what this is all about? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Because I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking and where you're walking. Or you and your homies might be lying to chalk. I really hate the trip, but I got a low. As they croak, I see myself in the pistol smoke, fool. I'm the kind of cheater little homies want to be like on my knees in the night, saying prayers in the street light. A serial killer turns the life of a family on vacation into a nightmare. It's... 2000's Tripfall by Sergei Rudnitsky. And you know what? That plot summary, that is the plot of the movie. It's, uh, <laughs> I've somehow have forgotten his fucking name. Oh, John Ritter, of course. The late John Ritter stars as a kind of goofy family man who's taken his family on vacation. Scott, where are they on vacation? Santa Monica, California. Santa Monica, California. On the boardwalk, and I believe, Scott, you told me you've been on that same boardwalk. Two years ago, two years ago, my family had a vacation to Santa Monica. We rented a house, and here's the thing. Just like John Ritter, I have a wife. Just like John Ritter, I have a son and a daughter. Just like John Ritter, we walked out on that pier for lunch. So this film really hit, it really hit home. This could have happened it, to me. I mean, it really must have given you a kind of deep connection 
to what was happening. And we will, we'll, we'll play into that in just a moment. But just to give a little more elaboration on the plot, John Ritter and his wife, Rachel Hunter, who somehow gets higher billing than John Ritter on the fucking poster, uh, her, them and their two kids, they go on this vacation. Uh, they ended up getting, uh, targeted by Eric Roberts, his girlfriend and a friend of his to basically, uh, kidnap them, hold them hostage because they know that John Ritter is worth a lot of money. Well, not John Ritter, his character in this movie. So their plan is to kidnap them, get him to transfer over like a million dollars and then kill them. But things don't always go according to plan. Sometimes you trip and fall. Liam! <laughs> what did you think of the year 2000's tripfall um it do not mention eric roberts hair yet we're going to talk about that but aside from that what did you think aside aside from eric roberts hair most of tripfall is hard for to watch for me It, (laughs) it, it is i mean first of all it's incredibly ugly i don't know how they film this it looks like they filmed it on the first digital camera that was ever made, ever. Um, it, it looks like the sort of thing that would play on basic cable um, in the 90s. Uh, it, it, it certainly is not exactly a dynamic plot. Um, you kind of see most of it coming. Uh, honestly, I, I, wanna, I want to kind of shit on everybody in the movie, but I, I don't know. I actually kind of like John Ritter in it for what it is. But I also found it a little unsettling as his character has to, like, oppose evil forces to save his family. None of that felt real to me. Um, and, and it feels like the sort of movie where things are so basic that they have to come up with a lot of bullshit to make it interesting. Right. Um, and, and none of that stuff. Wor- it, it, it really feels like they worked out the arc of the plot and then they just inserted bullshit mini events in in it so that they could stretch it out to be a because without those like weird little mishaps that don't make a lot of sense the film would be like 30 minutes you know so (laughs) it's like they stretched it out so it'd be an actual movie and it it was painful not only that but uh the all three of the bad bad guy characters you know eric roberts's girlfriend and their friend have these ridiculous voices that are utterly (laughs) distracting eric roberts is like this sort of lilting, this whole like um, effeminate Southern gentleman who is therefore deadly is a weird thing for him to be playing in this movie. Sure. Then their friend sounds like he has a tracheotomy and is talking through a box. And then the girlfriend, who's the most normal sounding of the three, still has a pretty grating voice. And then her dialogue is always just ridiculous. So uh, it was a mostly painful experience with a few upbeat moments that I thought were kind of ridiculous there's a there's a murder to prove that eric roberts means what he says that's so unnecessary but kind of like interesting for that but for the most part it's a rather boring movie yeah eric roberts weapon of choice is a um ice pick which he likes to insert into people's brains uh, to either turn them into a vegetable or murder them outright. I do also want to mention that the gentleman who sounds like Tom Waits gargling asphalt <laughs> is uh, referred to as Mr. Franklin throughout the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if I take nothing else away from this movie outside of Eric Roberts' hair, it will be the memory of people saying Mr. Franklin a thousand times. Scott, what did you think of the year 2000's trip fall? Yeah, I was kind of into it for the first little while. Like the the setup was okay with this family on vacation, and for a while I thought, okay, the John Ritter Rachel Hunter. There's a bit of an age gap there, but she she was with Rod Stewart for a long time, so I think that. Made- <laughs> 
But then I just thought, you know, John Ritter's just one joke after another after another. I just thought to myself, God, it's got to be exhausting being married to that guy. And her whole job was just to roll her eyes for the first half hour. But uh, once things get going, uh, I feel like it should have wrapped up after about 45, 50 minutes. But like Liam said, they just insert this weird stuff like the tension with the pizza boy, with the cops, you know, all these things that just drag it out. Yeah, this this it does have that made for TV feel, but it also does feel a little overlong. But I will say, as opposed to both of you, I actually I somehow enjoyed this movie. And I don't know if it's because it's Friday and because I was uh, insulating myself from the American political situation and I was trying to keep thinking good thoughts. But I cared about John Ritter and his family enough to not want to see them die. And that was enough for me to wring out some tension out of the fact that I didn't know like if they, maybe they were going to kill off, say, Rachel Hunter's character or something like that. I just cared enough and I was very curious about the bank aspect of it and how all that was going to work that I actually did feel a little bit of tension in the second half of the movie. And I also find it very easy to elicit sympathy for John Ritter because not only did I like him as an actor and not only was it very sad that he died so young, but uh, he's got a very sad looking face. And also this was... 2000 era John Ritter so he's a little tubby and he uh, he's kind of got a he it's just kind of sad to look at him in a lot of different ways so uh for me I I think that helped elicit even more sympathy so I don't know I actually did kind of enjoy Tripfall and I probably if I was to watch it again I wouldn't enjoy it at all because none of the twists and turns uh, so to speak I would 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 kind of work for me but I did manage to enjoy it overall despite the fact that it does look cheap as dirt and that it is definitely um, drawn out and overlong, but the main thing we'll we say, have to talk about. Sorry, yes, Scott. No, I was just gonna say I agree with you. The John Ritter aspect is the only thing that really held me in. Watching him, feeling for him, and realizing like, okay, this is one of his final performances, probably. Mm-hmm. And it felt a bit sad. He was really huffing and puffing through some of those chase scenes, right? <laughs> they make a run for like the last half hour. I'm very uncomfortable watching all of that because he looked like he was in trouble. And that woman, and the, the interplay he had with the, the woman in the gang, who I'll, I'll admit I was watching sort of a, I'll say the DVD was a bit blurry. So until she took her sunglasses off, I thought it was Patricia Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> but he was doing that whole prisoner's dilemma, divide and conquer thing with her. And I thought that was a pretty good angle, too. So there were totally aspects I did like. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a complete loss. But the only reason that people want us to be talking about Tripfall is because we have to talk about what is going on with Eric Roberts' head in this movie? <laughs> Eric Roberts plays the character of Mr. Eddie. He does have a very strange voice. He, it's a very odd performance. I love it, to be honest with you. I think he's amazing in this movie. However, it's also very openly, desperately attention-seeking. Like, this is like, someone's like, this is how I'm going to play this character, and there's nothing you can fucking do about it. Uh, and on top of that, Eric Roberts has made an interesting choice, or somebody has made a choice for him, to take his hair, which is one of his trademarks, as, I mean, we just talked about it in The Immortals, and do something unbelievable to it. Liam, describe Eric Roberts' hair in this movie. <laughs> um, if you've ever seen the band Corn, then you might be familiar with the various crimes against braiding that white men can pull off with their hair. And so it looks like Eric Roberts has just grown out one small part of the top of his head and then accomplished a series of like mini braids, like 
Like, and when I say braids, like they're not flopping around up there. They're just sort of sticking off the top of his head in a very kind of unkept manner. Um, it's hard. It's hard. To, it's like one of those things where I saw it and then I had to rewind to look at it again. And then, I mean, you see it the whole movie. He never takes it out of the these these things. But I just kept pausing it, being like, "What exactly is going on with that hair?" It. Uh... Somebody described it as looking like a tarantula had climbed onto his head and just stayed there for the entirety of the movie. <laughs> it is – I mean, look, if you, the listener, have not seen this, you should look up Tripfall and Eric Roberts just to get a look. And, of course, I'm sure I've actually made the image for this episode a picture of his character. But you have to take into account, okay, this is Eric Roberts, uh, year 2000. He was well into his 40s, and he's got this <laughs> – a very good comparison, actually, Liam. There's this corn-style braiding going on in his hair. It You can't take your eyes off of him, but I don't know if that's a good thing or not. It looks crazy. Scott, describe Eric Roberts' hair in this movie. Well, I feel like he went into his barbershop and said, give me the Coolio. <laughs> it, it's really wonderful. It's just amazing, and it, it I think it helps him think. <laughs> what does it help him think of? Braids, just keep his brain working extra fast. Think one step ahead of John Ritter. <laughs> and it almost works until they have a tussle, a fist fight, that somehow John Ritter gets the better of. Yeah, let me just spoil how this movie ends. So um, at some point, shit goes kind of bad. Not too bad, but bad enough that John Ritter has gotten away with like a million dollars, and he's trying to... Um, to barter back and forth with these three criminals to get members of his family back. So he's going to plant money around this area, have them come to the place, give him one of his family members back and take money. So at least he can kind of get them one at a time. Like he's that guy from saw or something. And now that plan, he fucks it up immediately and gets caught the very first fall, which I actually thought was kind of amusing. Cause it looks like they're going to set up. Okay. The tables have turned. Nope. He's John Ritter and fucked up. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes, uh, this deal where one of the bad guys, uh, the the uh, the Mr. Franklin character, he sort of is going to take the lead and he sort of turns on Eric Roberts' character a little bit and he's like, Look, I'm in control now. But, of course, that gets turned around again and Eric Roberts kills that guy. So it comes down to just Eric Roberts and his girlfriend and uh, having a confrontation with John Ritter. <laughs> John Ritter basically kind of wrestles Eric Roberts' character and in the scuffle, Eric Roberts gets shot in the stomach and just dies, just bleeds out and drools all over the place. And his girlfriend, <laughs> out of sheer depression and desperation, pulls the gun on herself and shoots herself in the head off screen, of course. And that is the happy ending that we're treated to in the year 2000's Tripfall. Um, I want to talk about just briefly the director, Sergei Rudninsky. Um, he actually has had a pretty substantial career. He has a movie in 2016 called Josh's Lovers coming out. Sounds just terrific. Um, but I do want to mention that if you go to his internet movie database profile, he had a very productive year in the year 2000, a very Eric Roberts-esque year in that he seems to have directed five, ten movies in the year 2000 <laughs> alone, including such titles as Voyeur.com, Enticement, Fear Run Silent, Paper Bullets, Jack of Hearts, and Cypress Edge. So uh, I haven't checked out more work from Sergei Radinsky. I'm not sure that I would, but I 
for anyone who might be more familiar with his career, uh, could you please explain to me how the fuck he made 10 movies in a single year? I mean, look, this movie doesn't look like it took a long time to make, but it looks like it took longer than a week to make. So I'm very curious about how he did it. I should also mention that his uh, his database profile mentions that he uses the uh, pseudonym Miles Feldman quite a bit. So Sergei Ronunsky, uh, also known as Miles Feldman. There really isn't a lot to talk about in this movie uh, in, in regards to, say, the cast. I do want to say, Rachel Hunter, we mentioned her briefly. What? <laughs> you mentioned Scott. Yes, she used to be with Rod Stewart. She uh, she does get fairly good billing here. But she pretty much just vanishes for the second half of the movie. Why is she even in this movie, Scott? Well, they, they, a couple things I want to mention. I, I think... They've discovered at some point she can't act at all, so they literally keep duct tape on her mouth for the second half. <laughs> but at one point, you know, they're out, they're bathing around the pool, right? And John Ritter is married to literally a swimsuit model. And then the other <laughs> one walks by, and he does that. You mentioned this in the stock by my doctor, The Return. He does that move where he pulls down his sunglasses to look at <laughs> Which is a bad move, especially when you're married to a swimsuit model. But she was there for eye candy, and she wasn't even allowed to be eye candy. Yeah, no, she really wasn't. And I mean, in some ways, that's kind of respectable, right? Because you got Rachel Hunter, you've got her on the poster. You're like, oh, she's if she's not going to have a nude scene, at least she'll have like a bikini scene or something. But even in that scene, I mean, she's, you know, it's a very modest performance in a lot of ways. Modestly yeah, talented, so certainly. You might have been dating Sergei Rodvinsky or whatever his name was. <laughs> Sergei! Um, are you familiar with Rachel Hunter, Liam? No, I didn't know anything about her until you guys talked about it. I, I, my entire familiarity with her is in this movie in which, yeah, most of the movie she's got duct tape in her mouth and she just looks kind of upset. Even in those scenes, she can't manage to even look that upset, so I kind of was not that bummed that I couldn't hear her voice. Okay, Liam, now I should ask you before we talk about Eric Roberts' performance, what is your favorite Rod Stewart song? I don't think I have one. Hmm. I, I, and I say that not because I'm too cool for Rod Stewart. Uh, it's that in that moment where you asked me, I tried to remember a Rod Stewart song so I could say that that was then my favorite Rod Stewart song, and I can't think of one. What about that one that goes, Bring over some, your old Motown records? I don't know what that is, but I'd like to never hear it again. What about Rod Stewart and the Faces? I don't know what you're talking about right now. Scott, over to you. What's your favorite Rod Stewart song? With the faces gotta be Stay With Me. Yeah, right? I mean, what's going on with Liam over there? Just like he doesn't understand his career. I don't career. know what you're talking about. I had a friend from Newfoundland High School, and he said the biggest summer concert was summer, this was <laughs> 1988 or so. Rod Stewart <laughs> yeah. St. John's, and it was called Rod Rocks the Rock. Is that true? That is absolutely the case. That concert was like the biggest thing in the world in 1988. It was massive. <laughs> now, uh, listeners have to under. Sorry, was not making it up. He was telling. No, no, no. Rod rocks the rock. You have to understand that in Newfoundland, the place where I grew up, it's on the furthest eastern point in North America. So when when musicians made coast to coast tours throughout Canada, they would start in Vancouver, British Columbia, and they would stop in Nova Scotia, and they would never come to Newfoundland because the cost of going to an island to perform was always too much. So having a recognizable musician in the 1980s and 90s was very, very rare. It's gotten a lot better since then. But uh, so Rod Stewart coming, I think the biggest musician before that was Huey Lewis in the news. (laughs) 
who made an appearance at St. John's in the 80s as well. And I will tell you, my, uh, my late father, he used to tell the story all the time. He, my father was a police officer. And uh, there was a bar that all the police officers used to go to. And after uh, Huey Lewis's performance, he came to that bar and he hung around with all these cops and like sang songs and stuff for like hours and hours and hours later. And it didn't matter that Huey Lewis's career was basically non-existent in the mid to late 90s. My father, whenever there was any reference to Huey Lewis, would always get that smile on his face, a little glint in his eye. <laughs> that, oh yes, Huey Lewis, I remember when he came to the police bar. So anyway, Liam, you don't have much of a fandom of Rod Stewart, unfortunately. No, sorry. All right. Well, let's talk about someone you do have a fandom of. Eric Roberts, yes. the actor. What do you think of Eric Roberts' performance in Tripfall? Uh, I You already said your opinion of it. I think I have to echo, though I will say um, it's more, you know, <clears throat> the... I'm trying to think of a good metaphor to explain this. It's like when you appreciate a musician for what they're able to do, but you don't necessarily enjoy everything they're doing. So um, I think Eric Roberts is amazing in this role, even though there are large portions of him doing this role that I find irritating. I think that's a very, I think that's a very fair response. I will say that part of my enjoyment came from the fact that seeing him Eric Roberts give low effort in a movie. You sometimes forget that he can give a big effort. And here he, for better or for worse, is giving a lot of effort. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, you know, I don't I don't necessarily care about virtuosity when it comes to musicians. But when I see it, I can appreciate it. So like some guy up there sort of riffing away on a guitar. I might not want to put that record on, but I can see him do it and be like, wow, that's really. And for me, like. This is a role that actually asks a lot of Eric Roberts. I mean, he has to be menacing while doing the dumbest voice I've ever heard in my life with fucking shit braids on the top of it. I mean, he he looks he looks like uh, he, he he looks like a forty year old skateboarder who like hangs out under the boardwalk trying to sell you like bad acid or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it, the fact that he owns this role is like kind of an actually an accomplishment in a lot of ways, even if. While I'm watching it, I'm not like, oh, this is so great. I'm kind of like, oh, God, why? You know what? <laughs> You're supposed to respond. What? <laughs> uh, it was only at the point that you just said the word virtuosity a moment ago that I uh, figured out that the Russell Crowe, Denzel Washington movie, Virtuosity, that that title is a pun. Oh, yes. I didn't realize that until you said that just then. <laughs> Scott, what did you think of Eric Roberts' performance in Tripfall? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, he was just chewing scenery left, right, and center. He was, that accent, I agree. I just, that voice, it was just nuts. It was just so nuts. And I imagine, you know, when you when, when people want Eric Roberts, this is what they're looking for. You know, this is what you should track down, not a 10-second cameo. You need him in a full movie. Chewing scenery, no matter how fast you're running, no matter how fast you're driving, he's always going to be right in front of you. He'll be there and he'll scare you. I like how his character is sort of, you know, in that Rucker Hauer in the in the Hitcher type way where he just like they're but also kind of incompetent at the same time. I can't believe they let that pizza guy almost get away. Um <laughs> and then in the process of chasing him down, they almost let the entire family get away. Uh so it's it's weirdly he's weirdly confident while being incompetent. Uh, and I kind of love that balance in the character. But yeah, what he's trying to do here is to save 
a boring looking and a boring written and a boring uh, acted for the most part movie by being as whacked out as possible. And the fact that he almost succeeds, I think, is a testament to the fact that Eric Roberts, when he's on, when he's trying, he can really pull it out. And it really kind of justifies the fact that we have a uh, a podcast about Eric Roberts that very few people listen to. <laughs> <laughs> So it just makes me laugh every single time. This film really makes you question the fashion choice of Hawaiian shirt tucked in or untucked. We got a couple different. Uh, I think we got to go with, uh, you know what? You got to do with, with, with what suits your body type. Uh, for someone like Liam, I'm sure tucked is good. For uh, for me, I would go untucked because I'm a party animal. Um, but, uh, but I think you got to, you know, you got to be you. And if, if nothing else, the theme of this episode is you got to be you. Um, and so with that said, let's finish this off. I got to ask you, Scott, is Eric Roberts the fucking man generally and in Tripfall? Generally, yes. Specifically, also, yes. He rocks this movie like crazy. It's uh, double, yeah. double yeses all the way across the sky. Over to you, Liam. In the past, I've, I've penalized Mr. Roberts for making me watch a bad movie. But he owns this role so much that the fact that I didn't enjoy the movie doesn't really affect it. He's still the man. I, I'm going to concur, of course. And I think that this is sort of reflective of something we don't see enough on this show, which is the Eric Roberts recommendation that balances out a lack of recommendation for the movie as a whole. So if you're the kind of person who would say, devote 90 minutes of your time to listening to a podcast about Eric Roberts, you might, in fact, you almost certainly will find something to enjoy here. Rest of the world, unless you're a big John Ritter fan, maybe you're not going to enjoy it quite as much. But you, listener... That's me winking my, my eye at you, or I should say my eyelid at you, uh, and, and you and I were on the same page. We know what we're talking about. You're going to want to check out Tripfall. And I should mention, by the way, that in terms of checking it out, that's a really hard thing to do. It's not a very commonly available movie. We, we've all watched it, this kind of shitty full screen version. So, so we can't say that it's easy to find. But if you track it down, if it shows up on TV one day, why don't you watch it and tell us what you thought of 2000's Tripfall? So with that said... Let's take our final break. When we return, we're going to ta- we're going to talk to Scott and uh, we're going to say good night. So we'll be back right after this. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Episode number 39 is in the can with a num- num- another two Eric Roberts projects, two recommendations, <laughs> at least for Eric Roberts' performances, uh, for 1995's The Immortals, 2000's Tripfall. I want to thank our guest, Scott Clickers, for choosing these two Eric Roberts-heavy movies for us to watch. It really kind of reinvigorated my faith in the man, in the actor as a whole. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. Everyone, of course, listening to this should already be checking out Married with Clickers. But if you haven't already, let's do that. Scott, how would people do that? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, Married with Clickers is a mostly weekly podcast. It can be found through the iTunes store or at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. And we will, and I mean it, we will link that in the show notes 
as well. Scott, you've been so much fun. I appreciate so much, not only that you are a listener of the show, but that you promote it when possible. And I guess if I had to recommend a starting point for people to check out Married with Clickers, you might want to start with those Stock by uh, My Doctor and Stock by My Doctor colon The Return episodes, uh, because there's kind of like a crossover there. There's there's a reason for people who would be listening to this to want to listen to that. It's the Eric Roberts factor. It's what kind of holds us all together. Wouldn't you say, Scott? I would think so, yeah. And we actually covered Runway Train way, way back in the very start, so I recommend not listening to that one. It's Babu, but maybe... Terrible. Maybe when you're diving deep on the Married with Clickers archive, you might check that out as well. Yeah. Uh, we all we all go through some growing pains. I figured that we're going to hit our stride right around episode 75. <laughs> Though I'm also at least, and I should mention this right now to you, Liam. You still with us, Liam? Oh, yes. Yeah, I should mention to you, Liam. I expect you to uh, not want to do this podcast once you have your kid. But I'm going to hold you through the blood oath that you have made to me uh, and the fact that I designed your Cinepunks website that you're going to have to keep doing it even though you're not going to want to. I mean, I'm prepared to follow through either on the commitment I've made to you or on the sort of preliminary conversations I've had about having you killed. So either of those two things is, you know, a serious possibility. Well, I wouldn't want to leave your child without... To deprive them of their godfather, which is what I'm guessing I would be. <laughs> sure, sure. I'm sure in Canada, godfather just means some random guy. So, sh- yes. Actually, you know what? I have a godfather. It's my cousin. And he is uh, he works for the oil companies in Alberta. And he's a far right-wing conservative. And I have to say that we do not necessarily uh, think the same on anything in the entire world. But... Today on the day of his daughter's wedding, <laughs> perhaps I could ask him for a favor. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Liam, you got anything to plug? Uh, yeah, just in general, cinepunks.com. Um, please go check it out. Check out our what, any one of our three shows. We have new shows in development, none of which have launched yet. But keep an eye out for it. And, uh, you know, all through October, we had a lot of fun horror movie writing we're going to be doing some more uh, in our blog section. Uh, and if you're someone who might be interested in writing something for us, hit us up, cinepunks at Gmail. Uh, and then if you want to see me rant on Twitter about all kinds of stupid stuff, mostly angry, uh, feel free to go to my Twitter handle, which is at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z, um, the proper spelling, uh, and check, check me out. And Scott, you're on Twitter as well? I am, yeah. I, I don't know if I need to tell you this, but Clickers isn't my actual real name, but uh, sort of my night job. Uh, but at Scott Clickers is on Twitter. I don't tweet that much, but I'm getting more into it. And we do have a, a Facebook group for Married with Clickers. Uh, just look up Married with Clickers on Facebook. I figured it wasn't your real name. And in fact, I, I have a different podcast with a gentleman who also doesn't like to reveal his real name. But uh, if we did want to track you down in real life and find out where you lived, Scott, what's your real name? I'll give you a hint. You don't have to. You've been to you've been to the Review Cinema in Toronto, right? I have. I live about five blocks from it, so just keep walking in circles, and you'll find me eventually. All right. Well, listeners in the Toronto area, 
<laughs> Track down Scott. Tell him how much you enjoyed his appearance on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Of course, you can find more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man at ericrobertsisthemancom or on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. There's also a Facebook group. If you do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And you can, of course, um, also find my other podcast, No Budget Nightmares, over at dorkshelf.com and on our website at No Budget podcast.com but with that said the eric roberts vault must be closed we are all out of eric roberts today but we will return in just two weeks with a new guest with two new eric roberts classics so we'll have to say good night good night everybody good night good night eric roberts is the fucking man eric roberts is the fucking man Eric Roberts is the fucking man If there's anything that you can do Eric Roberts fucking